Welcome to A Survivor's Guide to Hell, where we challenge our listeners to take a closer look at the bright side of things. Here's the deal. Negative news media can hurt your character. Experiments show that even one item of bad news has immediate negative effects on your mood, your helping behaviors, and your attitude towards other people. Even if you don't watch the news station, you are still surrounded by a desert of bad news. But at Survivor's Guide to Hell, we want to provide an oasis from the negativity, the politics, and the contention. Each week, we select a difficult topic, then use that theme to help you laugh, help you find a bright side, or even change your perspective for the better. We want to improve your mood, your character, and your mental health with a healthy dose of silver linings. We are so happy you found us. Today, our unpleasant topic is... Being brokenhearted. In elementary school, I learned that worms have multiple hearts. My nine-year-old friends told me that each side of the worm also had its own brain. If you cut a worm in half, the body would heal, and blammo, now you have two worms. It took me about 16 years to question this information. As I dug a new garden bed this summer, every few stabs of my shovel would end up slicing a poor little wormy in two, and I'd console myself with the sophisticated invertebrate savvy I'd received from my peers in elementary school. Sure, it might sting the poor things, but I was just multiplying worms, right? Finally, after enough worm dismembering, I recalled where I'd gotten my information about worm division. Perhaps it was time to double-check my facts. Turns out those nine-year-olds were kind of right, but mostly wrong. Worms do have five hearts, depending on how you define a heart. They can survive being cut in two if enough of their critical anatomy is preserved in the front end. The other piece will just shrivel, not become another worm. They do have brains, too, but not on both ends of their body. One end is simply a butt. A worm butt. Everything I knew was a lie. As I continued my unexpectedly fascinating Google lesson on worms, I noticed the section on the search results page that said, People also ask. There was a long list of common questions people searched regarding worms. The first few were predictable. Does cutting a worm in half kill it? Do worms feel pain when cut in half? Can worms regrow? Then, things got more interesting. Do worms like to be touched? Do worms fart? One query in particular literally made me laugh out loud and also made me wonder, how often does a question need to be searched on Google before it shows up in the People Also Ask column? There, six items down, were these words. Do worms feel love? Who is asking this question, do worms feel love? Are there worm pet owners out there who want to know if their cherished mucilaginous buddy cherishes them back? Did they accidentally kill one in their garden like I did and wonder if they just made some poor crawly out there into a widow worm? Things only got more interesting when I read the answer. It seems that worms, well, they do feel love, in a way. They possess an ancient nematode hormone called nematocin. It's comparable to oxytocin, the hormone that makes human mothers ferociously attached to their children. Spouses feel like they belong with each other. And what makes you get that gentle, happy feeling when you snuggle with someone you care about? 
Though I haven't found any evidence that worms like to snuggle, these love hormones do contribute to social behaviors in worms, like passing up valuable food sources so their young will have something to eat. I myself have turned away some awesome food so my children could have it instead, and let me tell you, if that's not love, I don't know what is. The biggest factor that differentiates worm love from human love may be the processing of emotions. Worm brains just don't process things like happiness, sadness, or anger. They experience physical pain, but they don't attach emotions to it. In other words, worms don't suffer. If a trowel slices off their tail, they won't get angry. If they stumble on a particularly scrumptious patch of bacteria, they won't rejoice. Of course, we know that people are much different. If you saw your kid carried away by a giant bird, or observed a massive shovel poised to cut you in half, you'd be doing something about it. But worms, they don't cry over spilled milk, they don't Netflix and chill with a boyfriend, plan an elaborate way to propose to their girlfriend, or peek into their sleeping child's room to soak in the image of their baby at peace. They don't get together, cheat on each other, or break up. You can't break a worm's heart by telling the thing it has cancer, or that its teenager has run away. You can't hurt its feelings by rejecting it, insulting it, or betraying it. You may be able to slice a worm in two trying to plant daisies, but really, humans are so much easier to break than worms are. It's that tender part of the human experience that led us to this episode's topic. Heartbreak. We may not have five hearts, but the one we do possess is both powerful and fragile. This week, we'll discuss an actual condition called broken heart syndrome, and use the story of Bill and Nancy to understand how this syndrome defines us humans as committed friends and passionate lovers. Then we'll lighten the air with nine hilarious and or cringeworthy stories of breakups that were worth a good laugh rather than a good cry. Finally, we'll go over three tips for getting over heartbreak. Act one, broken heart syndrome. How a broken heart can unite lovers, even in death. If you passed away in ancient Egypt, chances are you'd have your organs removed. You wouldn't even have to check yes to being an organ donor on your chariot license application. They would take your stomach, your liver, your lungs, they'd even take your brain by pulling it out through your nose. Then these ancient morticians would place the organs in jars that would be buried with your mummified remains. This was because Egyptians, the most famous embalmers of history, knew that organs were the first thing to putrefy after death. In order to preserve each body, they had to be dealt with. However, one organ was left in peace, never to be removed. The heart. This was because the Egyptians believed that the heart was the center of intelligence and emotions. Of course, we know differently now. It's the brain that processes thoughts, generates feelings, and is tasked with dealing with those feelings. There are multiple fields of study, each one vast and complex, dedicated to understanding the brain and how it governs our thoughts and emotions. So why is it that when something devastating happens, we still say we are heartbroken? Why not brainbroken? My first bet is that there's something that sounds a lot more soulful about a heartbreak than a brainbreak. My second bet comes from the feeling you get in your chest, right in the heart area, when something in your life has fallen apart and you don't know if you can puzzle it back together. It hurts a little when your lungs expand to keep you alive. It literally feels like your heart has broken. 
the scientific truth is? Maybe it has. It's called broken heart syndrome. It's a temporary heart condition, usually created by stressful situations and extreme emotions. Its symptoms mimic a heart attack and include shortness of breath and chest pain. Most sufferers will overcome broken heart syndrome rather quickly. However, a rare few, like Bill and Nancy Shafrath of Wooster, Ohio, have a different story. Bill was born in Wooster in 1932, two years into the Great Depression. Another two years, and Nancy would enter the world in a town called Barberton, just a 37-minute drive on today's roads to Wooster. After the two married in 1955 and settled back down in Wooster, their love would become legendary. A lot about the Shafrath's lives was quaint, as if Bill and Nancy were the characters of a Hallmark movie. Bill was a bricklayer, toiling away at good, old-fashioned hard work amongst the green Ohio hills. Nancy was the first vice president and branch manager of one of Wooster's local banks, which she would serve for 35 years. Nancy watched the company's computers transform from rudimentary personal computing machines to sleek, high-def portals of productivity, and phones changed from corded bricks to AI powerhouses slimmer than a pack of gum. As the world grew around them, Bill and Nancy grew together. Their unity was dyed down to the bone. It was said that Bill was always looking out for Nancy. If she was taken care of, he was taken care of. To Bill, everything was about his wife. If she left his side, he'd be looking for her. In a time and place where divorce was on the rise, Bill and Nancy had something special. Little wonder then, when Bill aged to the point where he couldn't leave his nursing home bed, Nancy had her own bed moved beside his, close enough to hold hands. In December of 2019, that's how they spent most of their time. Side by side, fingers cupping fingers. Christmas was drawing close. Evergreen trees speckled the city's windows, and holiday music dressed the air in sprinkles of jingle bells and church hymns. But as Santa's big day approached, so did Nancy's. She was fading. On Christmas Eve 2019, the love of Bill's life passed away. However, Bill was not to be outdone, and certainly not to be without Nancy. After 64 years of living with her, toiling for her, and loving with her, Bill died with her. It was only four hours after his wife. If there is a place after death where we wait to reunite with our loved ones, Nancy was only there long enough for a dinner and a movie before she was rejoined with her best friend. It was reminiscent of Winnie the Pooh's words to Piglet in the Hundred Acre Wood. If you live to be 100, I want to be 100 minus one day, so I would never have to live a day without you. Mathematically speaking, the odds of one specific woman born in 1934 dying within four hours of one specific man born in 1932 are slim. But Bill and Nancy were already used to winning the odds when it came to love. They were part of the 50% of couples that never divorced. In the end, you might say they won the love lottery. They never had to live a day without each other. You might think that a couple dying so close together would be a rare anomaly. However, there are dozens of stories of couples passing away side by side and maybe even hand in hand without even 24 hours to separate the living from the dead. Hundreds more stories describe widows and widowers that only live a few days beyond their spouse's departure. 
It's estimated that a surviving spouse is 30% more likely to die six months following their spouse's death and 66% more likely in the first three months. It's called the widowhood effect, and many believe that it is caused, quite literally, by having a broken heart. So where are the widowhood effect hotlines? Where are widowhoodologists? There with a clipboard and a heart monitor the moment a spouse dies. Where's the widowhood effect ribbons for trees and bumper stickers? And where are the fundraisers to keep vulnerable widows and widowers alive? You're not going to find them. A person following their lover into the grave may be one of the only kinds of death we silently, secretly cheer for. It's one of the only times where folks prefer two deaths over one, or where the words magical and romantic will be used to describe the cause of death. We may even say to ourselves, yeah, that's how I want to go. Of course, many folks who loved and lost their spouses go on living. We should be careful not to measure a person's love by how quickly they die when their spouse passes away. There's much to be done in a lifetime, and it doesn't all happen in the timetable of a marriage. However, the widowhood phenomenon is easy to see, easy to measure, and maybe the most bittersweet of heartbreak silver linings. It shows that we really can love someone else more than we love our own lives. We can love so much that it overcomes our deepest animal instincts to survive. We are not worms who can watch our family disappear, then calmly resume squiggling through the soil. We are humans, and we are willing to love each other at the greatest of costs. Act two. When you're through with crying, here's nine breakup stories to help you smile. Are you familiar with the feeling of a bad breakup? There's the hollow, aching chest, the numbness to all that is good, and the inexplicable hatred for every happy couple you see. Those are the side effects. But not every breakup story leaves a dark trail of empty wine bottles, tears, and heart shards. Sometimes a breakup story can leave you with tears in your eyes, simply because you're laughing too hard. If you're looking for some inspiration on how to handle a breakup, how not to handle a breakup, or you'd simply like a good laugh instead of a good cry, search no further. You've arrived at nine breakup stories to help you smile. We've invited my lifelong co-host, Jerry Aubrey, to help us with these stories. Here we go. Oh, and a small note. The following stories have been adjusted for clarity and length. Number one, bugs and boys. My first boyfriend, whom I dated for four and a half years, was breaking up with me over the phone. I took the call outside for privacy and was actually doing a pretty good job holding it together. But as I was pacing around my yard, I stepped on a giant wasp. I was barefoot. Needless to say, I lost my after that, I was crying and yelling the rest of the phone call. This was also how I discovered I'm allergic to wasps. I had to go to urgent care the next day because my foot was so big it had started to bubble. That one was from BuzzFeed. Number two, fish are animals too. I was at a brewery with my girlfriend when she started to cry. She said it was because the place didn't have any vegan options. There were tears rolling down her cheeks, and I asked her if there were any restaurants she had in mind. She suggested a place, and when we got there, she ordered fish tacos. That was the end of our relationship. Number three, love is blind. Pooja Vishal from Reddit. This is my best friend's breakup story. 
The guy she was dating was way too clingy. She decided she has to break up with her overdramatic boyfriend. One Sunday, she called him to meet her at Domino's. She loves pizza. It started with the guy complaining, Why didn't you text me last week? You never want to see me anymore, blah blah blah. While he was speaking, my dear friend was absentmindedly garnishing her pizza with oregano and chili flakes. My friend is pretty dreamy most of the time, and she drifts away after a long conversation. While he was speaking, she noticed some extra chili flakes on a particular slice of pizza, and worried it would be too spicy, she tried to blow the extra flakes away. The flakes blew into the guy's eyes and he was literally blinded for a couple of minutes. After his vision returned, he seemed really furious and said, I am breaking up with you right now. He angrily stormed out of the place. Easiest breakup ever. For her, anyway. Number four, cold heart. It was two years ago and I was in a committed relationship with a girl. One day, my girlfriend left me a note on the fridge. It's not working anymore. I'm going to my mom's place. I was confused because I opened the fridge and it was working fine. What the hell is she talking about? Later, I came to realize she left me. We weren't working. It had nothing to do with the fridge. Vivon from Pyre. Number five, the nine volt Valentine. I told my ex I wanted to break up because we had no chemistry. The next week when he came to get some of his things, he turned to walk out the door, then came back and set a 9 volt battery on my table with the word SPARK written on it. He looked right at me and said, just in case you still think we don't have a spark. Then he turned to leave, but he didn't leave. He walked to the door just outside of my sight and waited to see if I was going to run after him. That was another BuzzFeed story. Number 6. Ghost Girl out of the blue, my girlfriend asked me how to block someone on WhatsApp. I took her phone and walked her through it. Later that day, I wasn't able to send her any messages. I guess you could say I got ghosted. Sigh from Pyre. Number seven. Boyfriend isn't a word. My first boyfriend was really hot, but really dumb. We got into an argument one night at dinner when he told me I was just trying to sound smart. On the way home, I pointed out some new construction down the street from my house and told him they were building duplexes. He told me I made the word duplex up and needed to stop making up words. I laughed, thinking there was no way he was serious and told him he was just being argumentative. He got so upset and said, there you go again, there's no such thing as argumentative. At that point, I realized he was entirely serious and I ended it over the word duplex. That was another BuzzFeed submission. Eight, comfort food. One dude I knew used to leave work at 6 a.m. and stop by the bodega. He'd buy himself food and leave the bacon, egg, and cheese for his girl, paid off, that she could pick up when she left at 7.30 a.m. It was cute. One day, I walk into the deli and she's mad that the counter guy was charging her and he had to explain that her boyfriend didn't leave it paid off. She called him and found out that their argument slash breakup last night was real. She had it on speakerphone, so we all learned about the breakup together. She cried. Then we all chipped in and paid for her sandwich. Gaster Alamante, a comedian in Brooklyn. Number nine, hidden boyfriend. When I was a sophomore in high school, I was pretty good friends with a guy. 
One day before school, I was reading in my first period classroom and he walked in and broke up with me. He thought we were dating for a year and I had no idea. That was Emily from BuzzFeed. Act three, three tips for getting over heartbreak. For those of you aching from a broken heart, be it from a lost loved one, a lost job, a lost cat, or a loss of anything that you care about, there are still a few things you do have control over. If you really are tired of crying and would like to give smiling another shot, the following three tips for overcoming heartbreak are well-researched ideas on how you can move through the sadness you may be feeling. Number one, use social support. If you have trustworthy family and friends, rely on them. Be proactive about spending time with them, even when you don't feel like seeing other people. If you lack the friends or family you need, you can use tools like meetup.com to find anything from support groups to Harry Potter trivia clubs. Relying on social networks is the strongest defense researchers theorize against the widowhood effect. And it is immensely important in treating depression. However, be careful about using social media websites and apps as your network. This can often aggravate your feelings of isolation and depression. Number two, set goals. This is difficult when you're heartbroken because even your greatest passions seem to become uninteresting and unimportant. However, setting goals helps you draw your attention to the bigger picture of your life rather than the chapter of your life that is breaking your heart. It's important to start with small but meaningful goals. Each success will build your confidence and self-trust until you are ready to take on your biggest aspirations and hopefully leave the sting of your heartbreak behind. Number three, treat your body right. After a devastating event, your appetite, motivation, and sleep drive is likely to change. You may go from a salad-loving distance runner to a couch slug that dines mostly on pastries, alcohol, or nothing at all. You may have been an early to bed, early to rise kind of person who soon finds yourself staying up till 1am, watching true crime, and then snoozing till noon if you can get away with it. However, what you eat, how you sleep, and the way you exercise all influence the hormones that help keep your brain from sliding into a whirlpool of depression, anxiety, and suicidal angst. It may be harder than ever before, but it is now more important than ever before to eat plenty of balanced, unprocessed foods, get enough sleep on a regular schedule, and make time for at least 30 minutes of moderate exercise every day. Not everything is a vicious cycle. The better you eat and exercise, the better your sleep is likely to be. The better you sleep, the more apt you are to eat healthy and exercise. It's a virtuous cycle, and it's difficult to improve one area without improving another. Before you know it, your mood might just be improved as well. If you're carrying a broken heart right now, I hope you're proud of yourself. You've been courageous. You've taken the risks. Maybe it was to love someone, to care about a life goal, or to open your heart to a better way of life. Either way, you've lived a little. You're learning a lot. When you're ready, go forth and feel better. That is the end of today's stories. Now we invite you to join us for our weekly Silver Liners Challenge, which is designed to be an easy, actionable step that you can take to help boost your week and help you survive hell. Here it is, the Silver Liners Challenge. 
Start a good habit that could help you cope with a broken heart now or in the future. Feel free to share your experiences in the comments of our website, www.survivorsguidetohell.com, or on our Facebook page. If you'd like to see the videos and pictures that often accompany our episodes, once again, check out our website, where you'll also find much more information, including our storytelling code of ethics. We're always looking for cool news stories. If you have something to share, please visit our site and drop us a line. And remember, if you like this episode, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, YouTube, and other streaming platforms. When you subscribe, you no longer have to go searching for episodes. They'll be delivered right to the place you listen to your podcasts. Simply open the app or website you use, find our podcast, and click the subscribe button. You'll also be helping to support us as we spread our good vibes. If you like Survivor's Guide to Hell and would like to contribute some fuel for our fire, then you're already on the right track. Just listening is the best thing you can do. We've also seen amazing results when our listeners share our episodes with others. If this episode made you think of someone, send it their way. They may be grateful for it, and we will be too. Last but not least, our cheesy joke of the week. What do you call an earthworm couple who are made for each other? Soil mates. Ah! Thank you, and have an amazing day.